Welcome to our latest collection of talks, How to Worry Like Crazy. You know, this entire collection really has been based from our heart to really speak in practical ways to the issues that matter most in your life. We get it, life is busy. And the older you get in life, the more you end up doing, the more responsibility you have, and there just seems to be more things that you can worry about, get anxious about, get stressed about. And we wanna talk about that and talk about the ways in which if we can just avoid the things that cause the greatest amount of worry and stress, how much better would our lives be? We hope you enjoy this talk. We are in full faith that we're going to have a great time together as we continue the second installment of our current series of talks, simply called How to Worry Like Crazy. Because if there's one thing that we've all got in common, it is without a doubt that some of us like to worry like crazy. Now, granted, to varying levels for sure, but every single one of us knows what it's like to worry at some point of our lives. And if you're anything like me, then perhaps the truth is the same for you too. Not one of us likes or enjoys worrying. I mean, that thing absolutely sucks. We don't want that, and yet it affects so many of us. So we're going to be delving into that subject matter in just a moment. But before we do, let me just ask you, um, I'm sure that many of you will have been keeping an eye on the news, and I don't know whether any of you saw a story a few uh, weeks back by a Kenyan runner. His name was Eliud Kipchoge. And he was brought into the limelight almost overnight because he was successful in becoming the first ever human being to run a sub two hour marathon. I mean, that is craziness right there. I mean, it would take me honestly two months to run a marathon and it would need several visits to KFC along the way, you know? Yet this guy was able to run it in under two hours. What's interesting is that on his first attempt, he actually didn't succeed in breaking this record, and he missed out by literally, I think it was just two minutes. So on his second attempt, he's brought in 40 of these guys. In fact, there's a picture on the screen just behind me. And these are all people from his running community. And they were employed as pace setters for Elliot. Because you need a pace setter if you're going to break a record such as running a marathon in under two hours. So these guys would literally run alongside him for short stints of the journey to help him keep pace and keep track and on point for where he needed to be. In other words, it was Elliot that was made famous but he was only able to achieve his goals because of the people that were running alongside him in his life. In other words, without those great guys choosing to help him set pace, he would never have made the record. Isn't it interesting how just having the right people running alongside you in life really can make such a difference on the direction that your life takes? In other words, isn't it crazy how when you set your mind to just achieving something, maybe breaking a goal that you've got, how much easier is that for you and how much more attainable when you just have the right people running alongside you, maybe even helping you stay on course and on path and on point so that when you go off to the left or to the right or maybe go a little bit off-piste, that you've got someone alongside you just pointing out your next best step. Because the truth is for us all, and Eliud knows this for sure, that we really are stronger 
together. You can do more and accomplish more when you've got the right people around you running in the race of life together. We're going to talk about this subject of not doing life alone because I'm convinced that whilst worry affects us all, there are definitely certain things that when we do them and when we act according to that pattern, it increases the likelihood of worry really consuming us. In other words, if we were to just learn what not to do, then maybe we can all live life with a little less worry. I mean, how much better would life be if that were actually going to happen? Because I know that some of you like to profess that you're cool, calm, and collected, kind of like, you know, nothing phases you, nothing bothers you. I get that some of you are like that, but even you get stressed when it's crazy at home, right? I mean, you know what it's like when maybe you're not in the job or the position of employment that you desperately want to be, and you feel the tension and the weight of not being where you dream of being in life, that causes you to worry. Now, you might not talk about it and stick it out on social media, but we're all the same. You know what it's like to worry, and there are so many things in life that can make us worry. I mean, for those of us that are parents, how hard is it sometimes just making sure that your kids stay on the straight and narrow, you know? There's so much with your kids that we can all easily be overwhelmed with worry about. Are they going to get the right grades? Are they hanging out with the right person? Are they going to make the right life choices, you know? And that's just family. I mean, what about our marriages? Marriages and relationships cause us worry, stress, and concern too, especially when they're not working, right? I mean, when the marriage feels like, man, this is just stuck and we're in a rut and we don't know how to get out of it, they can just feel like you've got no way forward and you've got no way back. And it's just so easy to become consumed with worry and stress and anxiety. It's easy to become consumed with worry when you don't know how financially things are going to work out for you. And I think that as a follower of Jesus, it's not always possible to change our circumstances and the causation factors for what's worrying us, but it is absolutely possible to change how we respond to them. And I think that that's the only variable that we can control, and I want to help us look at that today. So as we try and figure out how to not live life worrying like crazy, you've got to know this one truth. The best way for you to worry like crazy is if you worry alone. Like if you determine that you're going to just do life on your own, make yourself an island, shut the front door, never have anybody come in and influence you in a positive way, that is a guaranteed path that you're on that's going to see your levels of worry rapidly increase in your life. If you want to know the best way to worry like crazy, then worry alone. Shut up shop. Live in isolation, clam up, wear a mask and never reveal who you really are to anybody else. But if you don't want to be consumed and living a life that is worrying like crazy, then maybe by the end of this talk, I'll be able to encourage you to let someone in and influence you in a positive way. Now, this is not a church problem, just so you know, right? Currently, there are 68% of British people that subscribe to the idea that they would say, I am lonely. Loneliness is one of the biggest public health challenges that we face today. 
An estimated half of people aged 75 years and over, that's currently in excess of 2 million people, will say that they not only go day to day, but often week to week without any kind of social interaction at all. Can you imagine that? How lonely must life be for people who experience that? But whatever you do, don't fall into the trap of thinking that loneliness or doing life on your own is something that only ever affects people aged over 75, because that would be a lie. It affects us all through the generational scale. In fact, for our Gen Zs right now, or if you're American, our Gen Zs, people would say about that particular age group in society, they say that now they are the most digitally connected and yet relationally broken. Because what's happening now is that our young people think that you do relationships online. So what's happening is that rather than going out to play with your group of friends, rather than going out on a Saturday night, it's becoming more and more common that their interactions, their social interactions take place on social media, online, so they stay at home and watch everybody else's real-life interactions happening, and this creates loneliness. It affects us all. Living life alone, loneliness, is as harmful to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Crazy, hey? England's chief nursing officer, Professor Jane Cummings, says that in conjunction with the cold weather, Loneliness is lethal in the winter months, and the only response to fix it is companionship. In fact, even our previous Prime Minister, Theresa May, and no matter what you think of her, recognised that this problem of loneliness was such that she appointed a designated Minister of Loneliness. I mean, how crazy is that? There is now an officer who works out of Westminster who is the minister to fix and resolve loneliness in the United Kingdom. And when you hear these statistics, doesn't it just make you go, ah, I see it now. It's almost like God knew all along that we were not designed and created to live life on our own. Because way back in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it's written that it is not good for man to be alone. Maybe God knew about this. It's almost like the very first thing that God said was not good was something, and in Scripture it's referred to as the law of first mention. In other words, you've kind of just got to pay extra special attention to it. It was the idea that it's not healthy, it's not beneficial, it's just not good if you make yourself an island and don't have the right positive influence flowing into your life. It's crazy because studies have now shown that the fewer friends you have, check this, I'm just the messenger, don't shoot me, but the, the fewer friends you have, the sooner you die. How crazy is that? So the topic and subject matter that I want to try and encourage us all to think about today is who influences you? Who have you got in your life that is running the race of life alongside you, helping you to keep pace and keep the right direction? Who is there in your life that's helping you go for broke and achieve your goals and succeed and win? Because if that's what you wanna have happen, it doesn't happen by doing it alone. If you live life alone, you are gonna worry like crazy. So, 
What we're going to do is I'm going to try and do this super quick because I want to try and just switch things up for us today. I want to give you five real quick but mega practical points about the type and kinds of people that you should not have influencing you in your life. Sometimes it's way easier to think about the characteristics and the attributes of those that we want to have influencing our lives. But I think that scripture has a lot to say that's clear and specific that gives us a great indication about who not to have influencing you. And the best news is this, hey, if you're in church with us for the first time and maybe you're just like, you're here and you're kind of like, you've been dragged along kicking and screaming and you're like, I don't even know what this is and I certainly don't submit to the idea of being a follower of Jesus. I'm not even a Christian. Well, hey, the good news for you is that all of this is so practical, I promise you, that this will all work in your life too. Like you can even kid your mates when you're in work tomorrow and not even mention the Bible, although that's where we're gonna go. And you can kind of just make out that this is just like life skills. But, but if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, then we're gonna delve into the holy scriptures of God to find out exactly what God would say about who we should not allow to influence our lives. And then this can become the bedrock of our way of life to establish who we let in and who we have to keep out. So let's get real practical. Number one, when we're thinking about the types of people that you don't wanna have influencing you in your life, you don't want people who like to argue. Now, I know right now there's probably that guy or that girl in the office or maybe even in the home that you've just thought about and you're just like, man, they just like to argue about everything all the time. It's like as soon as they come in the room, as soon as they pick up the call, as soon as they FaceTime in, it's like they're just... They're just so argumentative all the time. It's like they've never got a good word to say. They've always got a way about them that just seems to be always wanting to pick a fight. And it frustrates the life out of you. But you kind of put up with it because you're like, well, hey, it's just them and that's their way. But actually, Scripture's really clear about that. In the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, Proverbs 20 verse 3, it says this. Anyone can start an argument, but stay out of them. In other words, if you're looking to have the right people run along the right race of life that you are running in, make sure that you haven't got people around you influencing you who have a tendency to argue about everything. That is not going to help you at all. So stay clear of people who just like to argue. The second thing, if you're considering people who you don't want influencing you in your life, then avoid people who gossip. You know, gossips sabotage relationships. They are the best at just screwing up friendships and relationships. And sometimes what we do, and the church is really bad for this, by the way, we, we have these conversations and we kind of like spill the beans about something that we've found out third hand from somebody else. And we say, hey, I'm just telling you this in confidence, right? Because you can pray about it. No, you're not. You're gossiping, right? That's the bottom line. Because gossip is when you're communicating and talking about something or someone in which you are neither part of the problem or the solution. That's what gossip is. And you've got to understand this. If someone comes to you and they're gossiping to you, just so you know, and I don't mean to be the guy that's pointing out the obvious, but in the same way that they're gossiping about somebody else to you, they're going to be gossiping to somebody else 
about you. And I think that God knows this also. And he's like, when it comes to gossips, don't have them influencing your life. Proverbs 20, verse 19, it's super simple. Stay away from the gossip. There we go. The third thing, avoid people who flatter others. In other words, don't have people influencing you and being a voice into your life when all they're full of is flattery. I mean false praise, insincere praise and compliments. You know, like maybe when you're in work, there's always one guy or one girl, and whenever they're around the boss, they're always sucking up, they're always kissing, they're always sucking up, and they're with their boss, and they're kind of like, let's just stop there because we don't want to close the church down, right? And they're always away with the boss when the boss is there, that the moment the boss has left, man, they're just cursing him behind his back. You know, and they're just slating him and whatever the boss has now said, they've got a thing and an opinion about it. And all you hear out of them is flattery to the person's face, but the moment their back is turned, they're there just stabbing them in the back. And it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Because Proverbs talks about that too. 29 verse 5, flattery is a trap. Evil people get caught in it, but good people avoid it and are free. You want to live life free of worry and concern and hardship? Well, just don't have people influencing you who are full of nothing but flattery. Hey, if someone is going to flatter you and they're like buttering you up, I promise it's only because at some point they're getting ready to take a bite and you don't need that in your life. Avoid people who just give out flattery. The fourth thing, avoid having people influencing you in your life, the people who can't control their temper. You know, like the angry guy, the kickoff merchant. I mean, not only have these guys got an opinion on something, but they're really volatile. I mean, you don't know which guy or which girl's gonna come into work today. I mean, you don't know what mood they're going to be in because they're just like a light switch on and off. They travel from naught to 60 in an instant. And Proverbs says in 22 verses 24 to 25, don't make friends with a hot-tempered person. In other words, don't allow a hot-tempered person to be an influencing factor in your life. Don't associate with anyone easily angered. Now, here's the reason why. Or you'll learn to be like them and not able to change. Because this is true, isn't it? You've heard me say this statement before, but it's true for all of us. If you want to show me your friends, I will show you your future. Because who you have influencing you is who you become like. You become like the people that you run with in life. So the reason why you can't have the angry guy as an influencing voice in your life is because that would be damaging to you, dangerous to you, because you're going to become just like them. Because anger is contagious in the same way that loneliness is contagious. You always become like the people that you hang out with. The fifth and final thing is this. Avoid people who tell white lies. And the reason why the word white is in there is because if I'd have just put avoid people who tell lies, we'd have all just flipped past that. Because that's so obvious, it makes so much sense. Of course, we're going to avoid people who are deceptive. Of course, we're going to avoid, avoid people who tell big, bad, blatant lies. 
But the problem is, is that sometimes we confuse and think that there is a difference between a lie and a white lie, when actually a white lie is still a lie. So what I'm talking about is don't have anybody influencing your life if they're just full of white lies. You know the type of deal when they don't answer the phone and they say, oh, I didn't even know that you rang me. And you're like, of course you did because you've got an iPhone like everybody else on the planet right now and you know you had a missed call for me. Or they make out some lame excuse that they can't come to your party because they're out doing something else and then you see them on social media and they're just sat at home and they just don't want to be around you. Avoid people that tell white lies. But here's the best reason why. The writer in Proverbs says this, an honest answer, you're going to like this, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. So, boom, if you want to go to work every day and be meted and greeted by people whose presence in your life feels like a kiss on the lips, then just make sure that you're not having people influence you that tell white lies. Stay away from those kinds of people. But now let's get to the real business end. Let's talk about the one characteristic and one attribute that we should all look for when we're considering people to have influencers in our world in a positive way. See, I think it's this. Choose friends who encourage you because I'll always choose friends who encourage me. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, encourage one another and build each other up. There's such a degree of intentionality there. In other words, don't leave it to chance. But the writer's saying you've got to encourage one another. Do you know that there's a big difference between encouragement and compliments? Compliments are kind of shallow. They roll off the tongue really easily, really flippantly, but often they just don't have any weight. So you could say to me at the end of church today, you could say, hey, Luke, great talk. Congratulations, you didn't close the church down. And that's a compliment, right? And I'll take that. But the bottom line is it doesn't really carry a great deal of weight. It doesn't really mean a great lot, you know? Or maybe you could come up to me and say, hey, Luke, nice trainers or nice hoodie you've got on there. And sure, it's a compliment. It's kind of shallow, but I'll take it. Or you could maybe say, hey, Luke, you're looking pretty awesome. Have you done something differently with your hair today? And I'm like, no, definitely not, no. But the reality is, is that compliments are shallow where encouragement is when you're intentionally giving somebody three things. And the definition of encouragement would be the action of giving somebody support, confidence, and hope. I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of person that when I'm around other people, what I sow into their life is support, confidence, and hope. I don't want to be the person that when they're in my presence or in my office or in my house, that they walk out feeling depleted or deflated. I want to be that positive influence on the people that I've got in my world. In fact, another definition, and I love this, about encouragement would be to say that when you're encouraged, it's because someone has been filling your heart. And you've got to choose who is there in your life that you're going to have positively influence you in a beneficial way. You know, just this weekend, we've, um, as a bunch of boys, we've been away at a, a, a men's event, a conference called Excel, and we've had a great time. Just a bunch of us have gone up, and we had a couple of days of conference, and we did food together and had an absolutely brilliant time. But then on the journey home, I was traveling home with Josh, and Josh leads worship in the church, and we were coming back 
to church and um, just in the journey in the car, we were just talking about a bunch of different stuff and he was talking to me and I was like, I just felt so uplifted and encouraged after I'd been in his company. You know, it was like, he's talking to me, but he's filling my heart. And I'm just thinking, man, I want people like that in my life. It's like when you're around them, you can feel the love. It's like you feel their support and their confidence and their hope oozing into your life. Because the truth is the same in reverse as well. It's so easy to just have friends that drain you. Everybody know that guy, and it's like every conversation, every phone call, you dread it. Every journey you've got to do with them on the train, it's just a nightmare because it's just so draining, and it feels like they've got a straw into your life, and they just suck you dry. I mean, it's like everybody knows that there's people like that, but, but when it comes to choosing who you have speaking to your life, choose friends who encourage you spiritually. They bring you support, confidence, and hope. Now what I want to try and do is contrast two Bible stories to try and really bring home this idea of why it's imperative that you have the right people influencing you at whatever stage and season of life you're at. And we're going to do that by first contrasting a story about a guy whose name is Saul. He's found in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Samuel. He was appointed to be the king of Israel. He was a man of war. He was trained in military skills. He was somebody that had led the nation into battle, and he had been chosen by the nation to be their king. And I want to contrast him with a story about a guy in the New Testament whose name is Paul. Paul was an apostle. In other words, he was somebody that was responsible for providing us with over two-thirds of the entire New Testament that we have in our scriptures today. In fact, we are able to meet in church in Liverpool right now because of Paul and his team spreading and talking about the good news of Jesus. And I want to look at two events that happened with these two guys that on one hand were so similar and yet on the other hand completely different. So let's jump to 1 Samuel 13 because this is a story about Saul who had just experienced a great victory in the siege of Jabesh Gilead, where he'd experienced victorious results against the Ammonites. But in 1 Samuel 13, he finds himself now getting ready to go to battle with the Philistines, but basically he's overpowered. It transpires that this battle that he's about to go in, he feels like we're just not going to win this thing at all. And this is what happens. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And now let's jump to 1 Samuel 14. And look at the specific response of Saul when he's in this difficult place and he's starting to worry. Verse 2, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. So what we see is Saul about to, in his opinion, face imminent death against the Philistine army. We could describe his situation as being in a hard place. He was in a dark place. 
He was trapped. He was frightened, depressed, downcast. And now he's chosen, he's just going to sit down under a pomegranate tree and just case sarah, sarah. Like, whatever will be, will be. Because he doesn't have any hope for his future. The way that Saul sees everything that's going on in his life is that he doesn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. So in essence, he just kind of gives up. Him and his 600 men, they just sit down because now they're worrying like crazy. If I were to surmise the situation that Saul was facing, it would be fair of me to say that he was worrying like crazy in part because he was lonely. He didn't have anybody alongside him running in his race of life with him. Saul lacked a voice of encouragement speaking and whispering into the depths of his soul. There was nobody encouraging Saul saying, hey, listen, I know that right now is an incredibly fearful time for us all, but why don't we put our faith in God who has been faithful for us before that maybe he can really work something out for us? Saul did not have that in his life. It was lacking. And I just wonder, would it have been different for Saul if he just had the right voice of influence? Because in that particular story, God had to use two other men because Saul had given up and quit. Saul used, uh, God used two other men and not Saul who were simply willing to demonstrate and put their faith in trusting God. And in the end, God gave them all the victory. But I just wonder, would it have been different for Saul if there was just somebody alongside him saying, hey Saul, listen, I know that we're in a really difficult place, but can you remember how just two chapters ago <laughs> that God gave us victory against the Ammonites? Hey, Saul, can you remember how God's been so faithful to our nation and our country and we've seen God move before? Would it have been different for Saul if he just had the right person alongside him saying, hey, listen, you're the man, you're chosen and you're the king and that means that God is with you. And when we contrast that story of Saul in 1 Samuel 14 to the Apostle Paul in Acts 16, what we find is that they end up in very similar situations where naturally Paul, like Saul, should have been worrying like crazy, but he wasn't. What we find in Acts 16 is Paul, this apostle who was traveling from town to town and region to region, talking to people about the goodness of God, telling people this message about how God has given his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that anybody that believes in him gets a real and authentic relationship with him and gets heaven. He's traveling from town to town telling this message. And in Acts 16, they come across this young girl who's being abused by these men who want to use her to make profit from her because she's got this unique ability in fortune telling and they are making a living out of exploiting this young girl. And Paul and the guys don't like this. Well, Paul brings help and relief to this young girl and this is what happens in Acts 16. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped 
and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So now we find Paul in a very similar situation to Saul. He's in a hard place. He's in a dark place. He has a very uncertain future. He's been beaten almost to the point of death. His future is not secure. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. He doesn't know whether he's facing death. He doesn't know whether he's in for another beating. He doesn't know how long he's going to be there. The way ahead for Paul, like Saul, was completely unclear. But instead of giving up and being overwhelmed with everything that was in front of him, what we find is that Paul does not worry like crazy. In fact, what we find with Paul is that whilst he's been beaten and left to die in a prison cell, we find in the scriptures that he starts to worship and pray and call out to God. Now, the difference between Paul and Saul is that Paul had a Silas in his life, influencing him and encouraging him. Read verse 25. It says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas. In other words, someone running the race of life alongside him. Someone that's going to be in the high moments and the low moments. And at this point in time, in the depth of a Roman prison, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, crazy miracle alert, right? Coming up, verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. In other words, Paul just experienced the breakthrough that Saul couldn't even conceive in his mind's eye. In other words, when Paul was facing his darkest hour, his most dangerous moment, he may have had poor physical health, but Paul was still praying. Paul may have been worrying, but he found a way of still choosing to worship. Paul was hurting, yes, but he found a way of still being hopeful. I think the difference between Paul and Saul is Silas, because Paul had Silas speaking into the depths of his heart. And we don't know what the conversation was exactly, but I do think it depicts the power of having a positive influence in your life. In other words, you really are better when you're together. In other words, having the right people at the right time for the right moves that you're making can make all the difference. Because just imagine this for a moment. You know when you think about some of the things that worry you the most? And in an auditorium of this size, there's gonna be many worries and many concerns and so many tensions. But could you just imagine the difference that it would make for you if maybe as a parent, when you're worrying about your son or your daughter and you don't know why they're being the way that they're being and you don't know how it's gonna work out for them. Can you just imagine what it would be like for you if you just had somebody that was whispering into the depths of your soul, hey, listen, 
where you are as a family right now, it may not be where you want to be, but I don't think that you're going to be here forever. And I think the best thing that you can do right now is just, just, just keep trusting in God, even though it's hard to do that in light of everything that you're feeling. And even though you're struggling in your faith right now, the best thing that you can do is just stay connected to other people of God who can encourage you and inspire you to believe that there really is light at the end of the tunnel. Would it be different for you if you're the guy and you're struggling over an employment situation? Maybe the business has failed. Maybe you've been signing on for what feels like way too long and you're at the point of feeling like, man, I should just quit right now. This isn't working. It has never worked for me. It probably never will work for me. How different would it be in your life if there was just a voice of influence saying, you know, I think that you should just keep going because in God, you never know what's around the corner until you go around the corner. And the only way for you to keep going around the corner is right now to keep putting on the suit, to keep knocking on doors, to keep applying, to keep signing, to keep submitting. I just don't think that you should quit right now. Or what about the family that relationally everything's just got crazy tough and you're just like, I don't even think that we're going to, I don't even think we're going to see it through the year. I don't even think our marriage is gonna last even another six months. I mean, this thing is just crazy. How different would it be in your life if you just had somebody that could influence you and say, hey, listen, right? We know that you're hurting right now and we know that you're dealing with stuff, but can you remember? Can you remember when you prayed to God for a wife and He blessed you with it? Can you remember when you prayed to God for Him to be your husband? Can you remember when you prayed to God over that health situation and God came through? Hey, can you remember when we prayed together about that thing that you were facing and dealing with with your children and God came through? I mean, maybe we should look back at the ways in which God has been faithful in our past and that powers and fuels our faith for our future. Can you imagine how different all of our lives would be if we just had the right person of influence speaking into the depths of our hearts. You know, I was at rehearsal this week because our youngest boy is drumming at a youth event that's coming up and I was listening to the band and they were singing this riff, this, this small sentence and it was almost like a, a declaration. It was a statement that was declaring that God is good and God is faithful by singing about the ways in which God has never really let anybody down, the ways in which that even though life gets hard and difficult sometimes, the character and nature of our God is that, that he, he will not let you down. And they were starting to sing this line and this rift that was just recounting how that, that God has never really lost. And even when He answers our prayers in ways that maybe are not the way that we're expecting, it doesn't mean that God has failed or our faith has failed because in God, He's never really let anybody down because he's never lost a battle. Oh, yeah.